Hey friends, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Shannon Leibold, and I'm here with my co-host Lynn Martin, and we're so glad you've joined us. This is a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel and beyond. It's a space where we celebrate how God is turning brokenness into beauty. Each week, we chat with a guest and share stories from our own lives. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece, His work of art, and He's shaping us into something beautiful in Christ. Welcome to episode 52 of the Mosaic Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn. And I'm Shannon. And we want to thank you for sticking with us and and being here 52 episodes later. We are so glad uh, to have you join us. And we are starting out today with a whole new series. We are going to be talking about a topic that I think we're all really, really familiar with but also probably really struggle with in different ways. And it's a life journey. And um, and it's one of those that actually, whether or not we call ourselves Christian or not, it's probably something that we do in some shape or form without necessarily knowing it. And, and that is prayer. We, um, I hope, are all aware that we cannot do things on our own. And, and so in those moments of rawness, even if we don't know that we are calling out to God, I do think that we do that. And so um, prayer is just one of those things that, like I said, we're aware of, but we struggle with. And so we are starting a new book. It's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And it is, this book is a simple guide. And so we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And we're excited to have you join us, join along with us. And we hope it'll be challenging just like it is for us. So um, as well, a little later on in the show, we are going to be joined by Joy Fry. And I'm really excited to have her join us because when I think of Joy, I think of someone who is a woman of prayer. So it's really exciting to have her, her on for the kickstart of this series. So before we just dive into the book, Shannon, I wonder if um, we could just spend a couple minutes just each sharing where we're at when we when we think about our prayer life testimony. <laughs> um, where, what, what would you have to say? What, what, how would you testify to your prayer life? Hmm. Prayer is certainly something I would say I'm not great at. Um, over the years, it's it's certainly been up and down, uh, but within the last, I would say, couple of years, I find my my posture is really helpful mm. um, to to pray well, and it's what I do most mornings is after I'm in God's Word, I literally kneel down in my office, and it's dark and quiet and. Um, just that posture of kneeling puts me in the frame of mind of praying. And then I don't find I'm as easily distracted. I still am sometimes, but the posture certainly helps. And then just in the last month, I I was thinking about prayer and how it was hard for me to remember when, when someone you know, when I said to someone, I'll pray for you to actually remember that, like what system do I have in place to, 
to keep track of all the things that I want to pray for, for myself, for my family, for others outside of my family. And so I created a prayer journal that I designed it in a way that I thought would be helpful for me. And, and I printed it off and I'm using that. I've been using it for about a month now and each um, page layout represents a week. And so I, I can um, have a, a category in there for uh, praise and thanksgiving and confession and surrender and asking. And then I have the last section is called listen and look. So how is God answering my prayers? So I, I'm, I'm liking that because for me, it's, it's structured. It helps me keep track of things and I can literally lay it open on the floor in front of me and pray through the things that that I know are important, but I would otherwise forget in that moment. So just to clarify, you write that all out at the beginning of the week, mm-hmm. and then you use that as your guide to pray. Yeah, and I add to it throughout the week. Like as right. things happen, as God answers, as there's more things I'm thankful for, yeah, I I add to it as, as the week goes on, but I start the week by writing things down that I want to pray for. And I choose an attribute of God to to praise him for. Like this week I'm praying through God's mercy. Nice. And so that I'm praying kind of the same every day. But it, I find it's helpful for me to, to just continually remind myself of who God is. That's really good. Thank you for that. That's... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's lovely. It's, it's interesting to me how... Um, we, we walk through life and I think I think as we change and grow our prayer life changes as well and um, like when I think back to my grade school years I feel like in some ways looking back at that time those were lonely more lonely years for me and and so my prayer life was very vibrant mm-hmm. um, because I was always talking to God like because I felt like Maybe he was in those moments the only one I could really talk to because he was right there. And so I was really aware of his presence in also a very simple, simplistic way because I was very young, right? But but I remember then getting more um, more involved in, in community and, and relationships and getting um, really some really beautiful close friends. And then it it changed all of a sudden I was that need of talking to somebody was being fulfilled in other Mm -hmm. ways and and my prayer life changed as a result of that I don't know why I'm telling you all this except that we asked the question (laughs) and it's pot it's it's causing me to think a little bit but um so then as time goes on and has gone on I think in a way I guess in a way prayer used to be a lot easier for me and now it's harder mm-hmm. and yet it's deeper and more fulfilling because it um, I'm a more aware of different ways of praying like there's not just one way and that has been very freeing as I've explored different um, aspects of that and you know you're talking about journaling I find journaling to be a really um, positive way for me to pray mm-hmm. because I, I really hear from God um, as I'm journaling and I, my thoughts can be more clear. So anyway, how's that for a nice <laughs> preamble? Uh, if you're still listening, 
as we have just been chatting, we're going to dig into the book and, and hopefully as we go along, share more about where we're at personally and just areas where we feel challenged by things he says in the book and um, in our conversations with others as we go. So this book, How to Pray, he actually has set up um, an acronym uh, which I love that he says he hates acronyms. I just have to say that because I I must be a bad Christian because I also hate acronyms. <laughs> I know Shannon loves acronyms. Acronyms um, and alliteration. And alliteration, okay. yeah. And I'm just like, oh, I just, they are not my favorite thing. But um, this is a really effective one, or it can be. And so this is how he's dividing up the book. So P-R-A-Y stands for, P is for pause, R is for rejoice, A is for ask, and Y is for yield. So we're going to talk through those things as we go. Um, today we're going to actually just sit a little bit on on why to pray, why why we should, and um, what, what, what's the big deal about prayer in the first place. And then we're going to spend some time talking about being um, that pausing and that, that being still before God. So that's what we're talking about. So we're going to dig in. So as we look at um, the first chapter that's called Prayer Everywhere, Why Pray? Shannon, um, was there anything in that chapter that you thought, okay, here we go. This is this really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. Um, he starts out, and maybe this is back in the introduction, but he starts out about talking about how he walks through the woods behind his home. And then, um, you know, some days he walks on this path, some days he walks on another path. If it's raining, he goes, you know, shorter, etc. And that's kind of the same with prayer. There are there are lots of ways of praying, he says, and it's more like exploring than imploring. And I like that idea of just, you know, exploring. It's it's a relationship. It's communication. And it doesn't have to look one particular way. So that was good. But then in the, in the first chapter that you mentioned, Prayer Everywhere, he makes the point that, yeah, people everywhere pray. There's different forms of prayer, but... But really, to be human is to pray. And I love that thought. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me how universal it is and yet how much we struggle with it, too. And, you know, if someone were to ask me point blank, how do you pray? I would I would probably stumble a little bit and, and it should not be so hard. And I'm really hoping and praying that as we go through this, we'll we'll take some of those um blinders off and and see this for the beauty of what it is that it doesn't have to be difficult but mm -hmm. um it's one of those things the actual um latin for prayer comes from the word precarious um so we pray he says because life is precarious mm. we also pray though because life is marvelous um and we find ourselves at a loss for many things, but not for simple words like please, thank you, wow, and help. So I like that. If we just think about prayer as those things, please, thank you, wow, and help. And and prayer is that hub that just brings that all together. Mm -hmm. He says, I've come to believe that 99% of it is just showing up, making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. And I love that too because 
you know, prayer isn't just in my office in the morning on my knees. Prayer is all day long being continually aware that God is with me and that I can talk to him anywhere. That's a good reminder. It's, it is. It's such a good reminder. Um, he's got some... If you are thinking about reading this book, it is such a readable book. It's so uh, straightforward how he lays it out, but he has just some amazing little nuggets that are are really profound. He says that um, prayer has been the argument that cannot be proven, and it's the gaping need of every human soul since the very dawn of time. And he goes on from there to say that as we're thinking about prayer and the Bible and what the Bible has to say about it, he says that the priority of prayer is found in one way or another on almost every page of the Bible. I don't mm. think I'd ever thought of that. Um, but but it really, essentially, the Bible is like it is a book of prayer. There's constant, and I know Shannon, you're going to be talking about some of those mm-hmm. prayers as we go forward. But um, and it's also present in in our in history, in church history. So it is neither a peripheral theme nor an optional extra. It is it is something for all of us. It's something that we need to to learn and and to do. And so he talks about some really practical things. He talks about finding a place. Find a place to to make your place of prayer. Um, as simple as that, that can really be quite a profound thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, simple thing, but really helpful to, to help you get into the routine of prayer. Yeah. And I also really like that he says God is not an algor- algorithm. <laughs> I thought we were inundated with algorithms right mm-hmm. now, and it's not about saying the right thing or doing the right thing or praying in the right posture that's going to cause God to work for us. Um, it is about learning to sit with him and learning to listen to him and and having that communication with him. So there's no quick fix, but there are some standard things that we can do to help us, not mm-hmm. to make it not to make it a solution, but to help us through that. Mm-hmm. He says the best advice he ever received about how to pray. And really, I think it's probably one of the the best uh, nuggets of this book. It's this. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And keep it up. Mm -hmm. So keep it simple because it's the most natural thing in the world and doesn't have to be complicated. And keep it real because when life gets hard and when it hurts, you're going to want to pretend that you're okay, that you're just fine. But... God knows, and we shouldn't hide those things from him. And then keep it up. And so the idea that we we have to just persevere in prayer and, and keep going, keep going to God. So I love that. That's that's easy to remember. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Yeah, I like that too. He, he makes the comment that the Bible is often more honest than the church. <laughs> you know, thinking about that... Um, keep it real like there's something we we want to polish ourselves and make us look all nice and shiny before we bow before god and that is not what he's looking for he's looking for us to be real he's looking for the fight even and um because in that fight that's when we get to know god for who he is we get to Mm -hmm. see that he's present and uh i i really like that because i think we we strive so hard for perfection that we forget that that we are not perfect beings and God isn't asking us to be perfect. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's perfect and we need to actually recognize our ourselves for who we are. He gives an example of that keep it real uh, piece 
when his wife, Sammy, was in the hospital awaiting brain surgery, and that was before they knew whether she would survive or not, his friend, Dan, came to pray with him. And Dan prayed this. He said, Lord, if this is your time to take Sammy home, would you please give Pete strength to bear the unbearable? It was a faithful and biblical thing to ask. Um, But then uh, Pete goes on to say, I would have none of it. He, He jumped up and he said, no deal. I said, interrupting without apology, no way, God, over my dead body. And I was out of my chair, pacing the room. If you're planning to take my wife from me, if you're planning to take a mom from her two little boys, well, you're going to have to fight me for her. And I, I read that and I love that because I think so often we are so polite in prayer. Mm-hmm. Lord, if it's your will to heal this person, I mean, this is his wife. And, and of course, he's going to respond that way internally. But to actually just say it like you're thinking it, I I think it was just a, a beautiful and startling <laughs> to mm-hmm. this other poor man uh, way to pray. Well, and the reality is, we can't get to the place of uh, yielding, of letting go and accepting God's will without that wrestle. Mm-hmm. And and if we jump ahead to the yielding without the wrestling, then I'm not sure we're truly yielding. We're not truly trusting because we have yeah. to work through that. That that process needs to happen. And unfortunately, we have a lot of probably really stumbling uh, Christians because they feel like they have to present like this perfect image all the time mm-hmm. and that's just not what God has for us so so many things in this book he gives some really just you know um, practical ideas like just to commit to a, a few minutes a day and um, he likes to have he, he how he does it he has a morning a midday and a nighttime prayer and and we're going to talk about that more as we go along but just different um things to really make this part of your life. We need that structure in order to help us learn how to make it the priority that it needs to be. But so as we step into, uh, there's a couple things I want to actually point out that I haven't yet. And that is one that as we go through the book, he is working through the Lord's Prayer. And so this whole um, acronym PRAY is going to be working through the Lord's Prayer because that is how um, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And as his disciples today, that what better example can we have for that? And the other thing I want to point out is that there are other resources available that he lists in the book. And we're going to put some of those on in the show notes for you. So if you want to look more, um, yeah, so so have a look there if you want, want to go deeper. So we're just going to now spend a couple minutes talking about the first P, um, in in the prayer acronym, and that stands for pause. And this is something that I think probably all of us struggle with uh, to a large degree, uh, where we just stop. That the maybe the most important thing we need to do before we actually step into prayer is to to be still, be still before God. And he tells the story of this greyhound dog who is racing down the road and being um, chased, I say chased in quotations, by a chair. So this chair is actually attached to him because his leash has been tied to this chair and he's running and the more he runs and the harder he runs, the more the chair is bouncing and terrifying him 
and it just feels like this chaotic mess. And if only the dog would stop, if only the dog would just sit and breathe, the chair would stop too. And he'd see that what he thinks is this terrible monster coming after him is really nothing at all. And so we, I mean, it's a funny story, but oh, do we ever relate to that? Because we often will say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And that is we, do, we, we don't have time not to pray is really the truth of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and even when we still the outside distractions and chatter, it's often hard to, to still the internal chatter yes. and, and get ourselves in a posture of prayer. So this idea of, of pausing to be still before God, it's, it's huge. Um, he says, if we want to get better at hearing the one who speaks in a still small voice, we must befriend silence. Um, and we expect God's voice to boom and thunder, but mostly he whispers. We expect him to wear hobnail boots, but he tiptoes and hides in the crowd. And I love this. Listen to this. We expect him to be strange, but he comes to us disguised as our life. Mm-hmm. And I think how often do we miss God and how he's answering our prayers because he's answering them just in the normal, normal ordinariness of life. And so it really is about learning to exercise that muscle of noticing. Mm-hmm. And and I think stillness can help us to do that. And also, yeah, distraction is so huge and, and we can't underestimate how huge it is. It, it really spoke to me. He quotes, um, John Donne, who was a poet and a dean in 1621. So you think back then, what was there to be distracted by? And, uh, and I mean, he was, he was worked in, in a cathedral, like, what else does he have to do but talk to God, right? We, we tend to do that when we um, uh, just whitewash things and think it must be simpler for other people. But he said, I invite God and his angels And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels because of the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach or for the whining of a door. So he's saying even in those moments where he is sitting and pausing and being still, he recognizes that all it takes is for a fly to come and land close by that he's distracted. So that encourages me Mm -hmm. immensely um, because distraction is part of it. And we have to learn how to quiet that distraction, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. And I think just because we're pausing before God doesn't mean we're always sitting in silence. Because he goes on to say, um, occasionally he's he's so wound up that sitting is just not going to work. And I know that some of you um, enjoy praying on a walk or a run. And when you're actually engaging your body and moving then it's um, easier to pray. And, and he, he mentions that. And I think that's, that's good, that we can talk to God in any, yeah. anywhere, anytime. Well, and it's not just in our brains, right? It's our whole bodies. And it's like yeah. you said, the posture of bowing. Sometimes it's the posture of moving that helps get our thinking going. It's really, really good. Um, I'm just going to end with this one thought that he said, that true prayer is not so much something we say, nor is it something we do. It's something we become. It is not transactional, but relational. 
And it begins, therefore, with an appropriate awareness of the one to whom we come. So, so let's get to know God and let's be still before him. And as we journey through this book, we want you to know that we are praying for you and we are praying for ourselves that we will just grow. Well, we have today now a conversation that we are excited to share with you. We are going to spend some time right now with Joy. Thank you, Joy Fry, for joining us today. We are happy to um, sit with you. And, you know, when we were talking about, okay, who are we going to get to ask about prayer? You were the first name that came to mind. So no pressure there. (laughs) (laughs) But we know that you are a woman who just uh, has a deep relationship with God. And so we're grateful for you. So um, tell us about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your family, what you do, and and then um, maybe share to it what a typical day looks like for you in this season of life. Okay. Well, my name is Joy Fry. I've been married to my husband, Rick, for 40 years. I'm not sure where the time went because for many years I felt we were young adults. And then one day I realized that our daughters were young adults. (laughs) And that makes us old folk. (laughs) So Rick and I have three daughters and six grandchildren. And our two granddaughters bookend our four grandsons. So first and foremost, I love my family and enjoy every opportunity to have them come to the cottage for family meals and fun times. Now, the other passion that I have is I love thrifting. Mm. I love to hunt through thrift shops, flea markets, and antique stores for treasures that no one else has found. I don't like spending money, so I look for bargains to use that have a purpose for something other than what it was meant for. And then I have uh, just recently, last summer, um, I love to talk to the grandkids about the purpose for some of these old things that I have sitting around the cottage there and uh, their original uses. So last summer, we talked about the butter churn that I have and uh, how they work and how butter was made. So um, we made butter, but not in the in the churn itself, but we used the mason jar. Mm-hmm. Carter did want to use the uh, old wooden butter churn. And so then this conversation led to other things that are old-fashioned that Nana has sitting, in her, uh, sitting around in her cottage. And... Um, I told the kids about the chamber pots (laughs) that used to be under the bed and what their uses were. And I told Heidi that if she would be old enough now, that in the olden days, she'd be a chambermaid. And uh, one of her duties would be to empty these and clean out these chamber pots. And I mean, they were literally grossed out, right? Mm -hmm. So then um, I have over the years collected chamber pot lids. To, um, as a decor to hang on my bathroom walls instead of pictures or whatever. So these um, chamber pot lids, they, um, they decorate my bathroom walls. And so then Carter, um, my drama grandchild, he realized what these were then. <laughs> and he said to me, oh, no. Nana, I always wondered why you had casserole lids <laughs> on your bathroom wall. That is so gross. <laughs> Uh, So anyhow, um, in my earlier years, when the girls were growing up, I babysat grandchildren in my home. During those years, I completed my high school working independently and through night school classes. 
and I received my secondary diploma the same year that Julie graduated from high school. And then shortly afterwards, I found a job working in a dental office and continued my studies in uh, dental administration and radiography. God used this dental office for his purpose in allowing me to meet many people in our community. And in doing so, I started to learn how to pray for people I met. I prayed for many of them. The first one being one of my son-in-laws. Hmm. Mike came in for a regular checkup one day in 2004. And I tell him now that I was drawn to his very sad-looking eyes. And I prayed for him right then and there. Well, long story short, all of a sudden that summer, Mike is coming to our home <laughs> and uh, hanging out with Miranda. And I sought advice and prayer um, from my longtime mentor and friend, Lori, and she in her wisdom and in her um, off-the-cuff humor said to me, Joy, God has deemed nine months for a, a physical human birth to take place. Let's at least give God nine months for a spiritual birth to happen. Mm -hmm. And we will simply pray. So we did. We simply prayed. Then Mike left for college that fall where he met a friend, a young man who was a new Christian, who had prayed to God to allow him to share Jesus with one person at college that year. And Mike was that person. One weekend when Mike came home, we knew something was different. The sad eyes were replaced with the bright, cheerful eyes that we know him to have now. He told us that he had become a Christian in the past week. Now imagine my excitement. I mean, this was the weekend, right? So Monday morning, I rushed off to the office and I pulled Mike's dental chart and I called <laughs> Mary right away. I mean, you know where I'm getting at, right? What I'm getting I didn't know where you were going at first. <laughs> Like, so what? I called Lori right away, and all I said was, May 12th, today is February 14th, do the math. Oh. Mike was neither premature or overdue. Wow. Isn't that an amazing story? That's I great. love to tell it. <laughs> yes. So that was very much the start of my journey in praying for people as I was drawn to them or as God brought them into my life. Shortly after I quit my job in the dental office, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit to take the good news to the community of people that I had met in the seven years that I had worked with them. I remember feeling very afraid and not knowing how I was supposed to meet people because I don't do well in crowds of people. I am very much one-on-one -on -one and I'm very much a homebody. I love my space and I love solitude. But I remember praying and telling God this. I told him about the fear of crowds and the fear of rejection that I have of people. I was very honest in my praying because I figured God knew my heart anyhow, so why beat around the bush, right? Mm -hmm. So when God asked me, so when I asked God, bring people to me, I knew that he understood my heart. And I also knew that he understood my fear. And so I simply trusted him to work out the details. And it's been an amazing journey of people that he has brought to me. God answered my prayer and brought people to me. And he continues to do so. The first one is just about the craziest answer to prayer that it seems so unbelievable even now. It happened the same day that I had asked God to bring me someone. 
I had simply ended my prayer with, please bring me someone. That night I was cleaning up the dinner dishes and there was a knock on my door. And my brother stood there with his goofy grin on his face. And the first words out of his mouth were, I brought you someone. <laughs> he had picked up Sophia dragging a suitcase in the middle of a snowstorm. And now he stood there with the answer to my prayer. I brought you someone. Sophia stayed with us for a number of weeks until she was able to get her, back, her life back in order. We took her to church with us and we fed her and we bought her clothes because she came with next to nothing. We found her an apartment a few weeks later and then, then, like it had never happened, she was gone out of our lives. So often Rick and I think of the Bible verse in Hebrews 13 too. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Mm -hmm. And we've often wondered about that. So this is how bizarre my journey of prayer and submission began, and it has not stopped to this day. God has brought people to me in some of the strangest way. I could literally tell you story after story. One man, get this, one man was even dropped off from a boat on our dock. I had allowed my fear to keep me from inviting this man to an alpha course. And then when I kind of half submitted, which I guess isn't submitting at all, right? It's kind of like a child saying, <laughs> I am sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing, I'm sitting down outwardly, but I'm, I'm sitting down on the inside, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but regardless, I said to God, I am so afraid. I am so afraid to talk to him. So can you bring him to me? And there he was the next day walking up the shore because the <laughs> boat had dropped him off literally at the end of my dock. Imagine my surprise as I watched this all take place. And I prayed, are you kidding, Lord? You really do have a funny sense of humor. So what else could I do? But I walked down and met him halfway, and I told him my story, and I invited him to Alpha. <laughs> so That's I am awesome. That is so awesome. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. Who can make up these stories? Yeah, I love right? it. You couldn't make them up. Yes, this is why we knew you needed to come. <laughs> So I am learning to be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I try not to figure out the ways of God, but simply do as the Holy Spirit leads. I am learning that it's all that God wants me to do. Be obedient. I am learning that it doesn't have to make sense in my mind, though I still struggle to not overthink and to rethink, and I definitely argue every time I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I am learning that it is not God's way to make a person feel foolish. That is not his intent. He goes before us, and all that he asks is for us to be obedient. So Isaiah 55, 8 and 12 has become my motto in doing God's will as I journey through life. I am learning that this is not my work, but it is God's work. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, 
so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Mm -hmm. And I am really starting to learn that. When I obey this Holy Spirit's prompting, I have peace. Mm -hmm. And I just experience just, I'm a literal, uh, the joy of my salvation, right, mm -hmm. has become a, a real new, um, has given it new meaning mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. So then this brings me to the last part of question one. How does a typical day in my life look? Because of my health issues and medication, I take to keep my RA in remission, I live on a five-day week, Sunday evenings to Tuesday mornings. I sleep, and well, I feel simply just like crappy. But Tuesday morning, I get up and I start my week. My day starts slow as I get my seized up joints working for the day. I listen to the Bible reading via audio as I do stairs to keep my muscles strong around my knees so that when the arthritis starts setting into my knees, which it now has just this this uh, past spring or winter, I have uh, noticed that it is now in my knee joints as well. Um, so I will have um, strong muscles so that I don't lose the ability to do stairs. So this is my reasoning for doing stairs. So I do, that's how I, I do my workouts. And then I'm usually ready to start my day by about 10 o'clock a.m. In a couple of words, I can describe my day as it is the same every day. I never know who I will meet and where I will meet them. Will it be someone who walks past my house or someone I meet online with my Search for Jesus online studies? Or will it be someone who is dropped off at my dock? <laughs> right? But I have learned to be very spontaneous and not allow my schedule to become too scheduled. Mm -hmm. So I have learned flexibility. Yeah. Wow, uh, Joy, we've been blessed already by, by what you've said and what you've shared about prayer. Um, but could you tell us a little bit more about your current prayer rhythms? How and when do you pray? And what's going well and what's maybe a little bit difficult? Well, when I looked at that question, I thought, how do I answer that one? Because I would say I have no prayer rhythms. I am very spontaneous, and prayer has become literally a way of life for me. I have learned, or am learning, to take 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 quite literally. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for me in Christ Jesus. Mm. So I am learning to pray as soon as things come up. If I read the news, I pray about it. When someone asks me to pray for them, I do so immediately. If I'm working on my computer with an online um, student and someone asks me a question, I pray and I ask God, how should I answer this? I have allowed prayer to become a habit. I think it's the mm -hmm. best way that I can describe it. That's good. I love that. Like everything you're saying is just resonating so deeply with me because... Um, I think we share some things in common, like we don't like crowds, <laughs> and 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 yeah, learning to be obedient, even though it may not be what we want, but um, 
to have that peace that comes from being obedient. I just love that. So as we're talking about prayer and, you know, you, you said you don't like being in big crowds. So how do you feel about praying in community versus being alone? What are the differences and, um, and how have you been blessed by praying with others? Well, this is another interesting one because this one came literally. I'm not sure when you had emailed me asking me if I would participate in this, but it was the Sunday right after. Okay. So it was the the next, whether it was a couple days after or whatever it was, but it was the following Sunday uh, that I had the most amazing thing happen to me at church. A young man who was saved at um, a Christianity Explored course a number of years ago stopped me after the church service. And we were literally in the middle of a crowd. We had just, I'm usually the kind of the first one out because I want to get ahead of the crowd, right? So he stopped me and there was people all around and uh, he said, Joy, I saw you this morning, and I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to pray for you. I don't know why, but I need to obey. So right then and there, he put his hand on my shoulder, mm. and he prayed over me. Mm. What an, an encouragement to have someone do that for me. It made me realize how very important it is to pray for someone, wherever I am, and whenever the prompting um, of the Spirit comes, to simply pray, be obedient and pray without caring who else is around or who's, who's maybe looking and who's going to see this and what they're going to think. And um, it was just the most amazing experience for me to have. And I thought, I am going to do this more often. Well, yes. how interesting. In the middle of church, well, not in the middle of church, but yes. at church that we feel potentially uncomfortable that we're stopping to pray for someone. And yet I get that. But yeah, we need to we need to make some changes. That's, that's good. That's good. So you've told us a few stories already, but do you have one more example about a time when God answered your prayers in an amazing way? Oh, yeah. You're, you're going to top what you've already shared? <laughs> well, there have been many, but I am going to share this one because it involves the WBC family. So back in 2020, just at the beginning of the pandemic, our family got COVID very bad. And I was especially hard hit because of my compromised immune system. So the doctors and the COVID specialists simply didn't know anything about the virus at that time. And most of their decisions were made by trial and error, right? So when I was so sick with the virus, both my doctors and the COVID doctor, doctor who was keeping tabs on me, agreed that I should not take my medication on the Sunday evening, which takes my immune system down to keep my RA in remission, to give my body every bit of fight that it had to fight this virus. So I missed that one week, but then the following week, I needed to get back on my meds again so that my RA wouldn't all of a sudden flip out of remission. Uh, but they had no idea then how my body would react to the medication, being I was still so terribly sick with the COVID virus. So they said, if you can't manage, then get yourself to the hospital. That was all that they said. And um, we agreed upon that. So I got online and I asked prayer from my WBC family and friends. Long story short, I was just a few hours into my medication and I felt my system weakening and I had a headache and dizziness that was almost unbearable. The darkness started to close in on me 
and I felt evil lurking in my room as the storm raged and my body fought. At one point, I felt death. This is the only way that I can explain what it is that I felt. I felt death hovering around. There was this dark tunnel ahead of me, and um, at the end of it, I could see a light. And I remember praying, Father God, I feel bad telling you this. I don't want to come home yet, but I'm not praying for myself. Oh God, I tear up every time I think about this. Oh God, you know my little boys cannot lose two grandmothers in one week. Please do not let me die for their sakes. Please just get me through this night. Tim and Monica and the boys had just come home from Tim's mom's funeral the week before. It was then that I heard murmurings, loud murmurings, and I heard Jesus calling my name. And I remember recognizing his voice because I remembered the verse, my sheep hear my voice. And I just knew it was Jesus calling me. And he called out to me, Joy, do you hear that? It's the praying of the saints. Mm. People <laughs> are praying. You're not going to die. I am with you. Remember our Psalms 139? Where can you flee from me? If you make your bed in the depth of your medication haze, I am there with you. And you will rise on the wings of dawn, and my right hand will hold you fast. I don't remember much more after that, but I remember being so odd that I had heard the voice of Jesus. But that also God allowed me to hear the groanings of the Spirit as people prayed for me in ways that they didn't understand. And I thought of Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I do remember my phone text, the family chat dinging, and I looked at the message, and uh, one of the girls had texted Rick, just to ask, how is mom doing? And I remember picking up my phone and I replied back, I will be okay. I will tell you my story in the morning. I knew I wouldn't die. So I continued to battle fever and shivering for hours until suddenly it was over. And I looked at the time, two o'clock AM. The fever had left me and my body was still and I slept. And I woke up on the wings of dawn the following morning. God had heard my prayer and the prayer of the saints, and he had answered. I don't beautiful. know how you go on from that. <laughs> that is so moving. That is, oh, I just love, and I'm so honored that you're sharing this with us because we need to hear these things. We need to know that God is working and active and he listens to our prayers and it's not just something that we we do every once in a while he is there. Yeah. So you know saying all of that and and you're alluding to I think a a lot of struggle, a lot of pain that you have to navigate on an ongoing basis. So I know that there 
that coupled with that, there's times of disappointment when God doesn't answer your prayers in the way you've hoped. So how, how have you navigated that? And I think this question and question seven go very much in hand. Um, question seven being, can you tell us of a time in your life when you have felt broken, but God turned it into something beautiful? So my story, I'm going to tie yeah, these two that's questions perfect. together. Yeah, that's perfect. So it was during my last year working at the dental office that I knew that there was something really wrong with me. My finger joints were so inflamed and my joints seized, started seizing up where mobility was a problem. And I had fiery pain in my joints. And the fatigue that I experienced dragged at me like a load of bricks. I started going home in my noon hours just to grab a half hour nap so that I could get through the rest of the day. My doctor had sent me to specialists and tests did not show anything. And yet the doctors would say, it's some sort of arthritis, just pray it's not the rheumatoid. And I started doing my own research on rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune diseases. And I started to understand why doctors said, pray it's not rheumatoid. And it seemed like my prayers were not being heard. I was barely coping at times because the pain was so excruciating. I remember at the time I was babysitting Carter and, and Hunter, and uh, they were one-year-old kids, and one-year-old kids do not understand <laughs> no. pain. So when Nana dropped to the floor going, owie, 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 oh boys, owie, then they're laughing because they thought Nana was playing a game with them, right? So I had to find a way to stop this. And I started wearing band-aids on every finger to show that the boys that Nana had big boo-boos on her fingers. So one-year-olds understand band-aids <laughs> and they understand boo-boos. So now they became gentle little boys and they would take my hands and they'd kiss them. But I wore band-aids when I had uh, these two little guys. <laughs> That's actually quite brilliant. It's, right? <laughs> I thought it was pretty brilliant. I think that's quite brilliant, yes. <laughs> so the pain and fatigue continued year after year, slipped by with no answers. This thorn in the flesh was overtaking a huge part of my life. I started thinking that maybe my faith wasn't strong enough. I, felt, I even felt that maybe God was punishing me for something. I wondered why I wasn't getting answers from the doctors or why tests weren't showing anything. So I started to protect my hands all the time, curling them into themselves or into my pockets just so no one would touch them. And I hated to explain why I wouldn't shake hands at church. And you remember the time when this was pre-COVID when the chairman would say, oh, everybody uh, turn around and shake hands with whoever's around you. Yes. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And I'd stand there going, you know, I, and, yeah. I mean, imagine how I felt, right? Yeah. And everybody's kind of looking at me. Oh, Joy's not shaking hands. What's wrong with her, right? <laughs> yeah, you needed the Band-Aids on again. I needed the Band-Aids. <laughs> so I hated to explain this, why I wouldn't shake hands at church. I thought of the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 18. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Father God, I would pray... I've asked more than three times, why isn't it getting any better? And I for sure didn't like verse 9, where God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. 
I don't remember how long I begged and prayed for healing, but I do remember the day when I knew that God had answered my prayers, and the answer that he gave me was no. Joy, my grace is sufficient for you. And in tears and complete brokenness, I submitted to him. If I am to live with this pain and whatever else RA looks like in my life, then I trust you to give me the strength to endure it. And I no longer need answers. And then I finished my submission prayer in the latter part of verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Mm. But then the most amazing thing happened. And I don't know how I found it or what made me turn to this passage of scripture, but I remember whispering to God, wow, is this only written in my Bible? <laughs> That's how personal this was. Psalms 119, 60, verses 68 to 76. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your word. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your word. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commandments. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. Now here comes my verse, verse 76. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteousness, and in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. Hmm. And now, with your unfailing love, is my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. Hmm. And he has been faithful to me, and I in turn have been able to give him thanks for this disease, knowing that I, had I not been afflicted, then I would have gone astray. So I am learning to trust him to supply my every need so that I am able to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For indeed, it has been good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn more deeply his word, which has come, become to me more precious than gold or silver. Joy, that is a beautiful story of surrender, yeah. of getting to the point where you just surrender it all to him. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I love how many of your verses speak of joy, and you are joy, <laughs> <laughs> and and you exude joy, and, and that story does not sound joyful, but there is no question that you are full of joy. I am. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh. So, Joy, in what way would you like to grow in the discipline of prayer? I don't want to lose this close relationship that I have with Jesus, but I want to grow more and more close to him each day. I want to learn to run to Jesus when I stumble. I want to run to Jesus when I'm hurt. Run to Jesus when things don't go well. And I want to run to Jesus when the evil one attacks. That one is huge for me. It took me a long time to recognize how very deceptive Satan is. 
But more and more, I am learning his tactics and I am learning to run to Jesus mm. more quickly because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, First mm. John 4, 4. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I hear in all of your story, that you have learned to be aware of God yeah. in everything. Yeah. And it's just, it's beautiful to pray yeah to have learned to pray at all times what that means i just wonder why you know i have i don't like having regrets but if i have the one regret that i do have why did it take me so long mm-hmm. i was 55 years old mm-hmm. before i before i fully submitted mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. way and i'm thinking what a waste mm-hmm. But God was in it all, right? God was in it. God was in it. But like, it just goes to show how stubborn I was, right? (laughs) How stubborn I can still be. (laughs) That was good. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Um, Just beautiful, beautiful story of how God's working in your life. Um, Joy, we like to end every episode with a few rapid-fire questions yeah. about your favorite things. <laughs> You're excited about this, <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> um, so, Joy, what's your favorite snack? Pizza. Oh, yummy. Yeah. Do you when have- I can taste it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? yes. You need yes. those taste buds to come back. What's, uh, do you read? What's your favorite book? I used to read a lot. I hardly have time to read anymore. Now mm. I do a lot of just research. Um, lately, I've been reading short booklets. Okay. And I like them because they're short. Yeah. And um, amazingly enough, the ones that I have been enjoying to read are the ones that Wayne Hockley has been giving me when my dad passed away last fall. So he has given me these grieving books. Okay. And you know how good it is to read something and knowing that, Hey, I'm doing this quite all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grieving okay. <laughs> nice. Sometimes it's like a strange thing, you know, when you're yeah. grieving. Some of the things that you think and do and and think about it, and you think, yes. oh my goodness, like is this normal? Yeah. And then you know, when one of Wayne's books comes, I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep, I'm normal. You're your, normal. Your textbook. <laughs> yeah, I'm textbook. <laughs> the other one that was a, a little booklet was written by our own Gary Goodkey, and it's I wrote it down here: Winds of War. And it's winning your spiritual uh, battles. So it's on Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Okay. On the uh, the armor of God. Yeah. Great little read. Okay, nice. good. Yeah. Thanks for that recommendation. Joy, what's your favorite time of day? Favorite time of day? Or night. <laughs> I don't know. It used to be nighttime, but now it's just like my day ends so so I don't know. What is my favorite time of day? I don't know. I like my morning coffee. Yeah, okay. I enjoy my morning coffee. Good. And what about your favorite season? Are you a summer person, winter person? Do you know, I'd have to say I'm a winter person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I am a winter person. I like the downtime. See, I also enjoy solitude. Yeah. Right. And what better time to sit Yes. in quiet. Yeah, for sure. You, you have more permission. Yeah. In yes. Yep. 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 I mean, I do love the summer and everything. I don't, I, I don't tolerate heat well. Okay. I don't take heat well. Um, so the, in one sense, the colder it is, the dry cold I like. So that helps too with wintertime. Okay. Yeah. Good. Very good. good. Thank you so much. 
thank you for sharing your heart and being so real and it's just a it's the perfect way to start this conversation on prayer because I want to go pray some more mm-hmm. <laughs> after this so thanks like so much joy, joy. Yeah. All right, we are talking about prayer in this series, which is uh, one of those topics that I feel like there is so very much more that I don't understand than what I do understand. And so I thought, what would be more appropriate than to choose some artwork that I also don't really understand? And, and and dive into that a little bit more. So for this series, we're actually going to be looking at the artwork of a man whose name is Makoto Fujimara. And I apologize right now because I probably mispronounced his name. He's a Japanese artist. He is currently, um, he's living. And a lot of times I'm showing you artwork of people who are no longer here. But he is a, he's a living artist and he is fascinating. And so the more I've... Uh, just done some research and looked into his artwork the more I am falling in love with it and I hope I can encourage you to also fall in love with his work. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him before we talk about the actual art piece because uh, some of these things will be helpful to know. So first of all he is considered um, one of the leading figures of what is called the slow art movement. which he calls a small rebellion against the quickening of time. And how appropriate is that? As we're talking about prayer, we're talking about slowing down. And he he firmly believes that um, as a culture, we are going too fast. And he is really um, trying to speak against that. And the actual even method of art that he uses is called, um, it has a name, it's a Japanese name. It, it's called Nianga. And he also... Uh, paints abstractly so as a result you know that you're going to look at his paint paintings at first and be like what's that I I told Shannon I wouldn't make her describe it but um I won't tell her the name quite yet just just give us some ideas of colors and what you see a little tiny bit (laughs) she's looking at me with death rays right now (laughs) okay so the painting is mostly blue um there are a few one two three four um pink flowers I think it looks kind of watery so I don't know if it's like water and a reflection on water and then these flowers okay so they they look you see flowers I do beautiful because they are flowers oh good well done (laughs) (laughs) that is what they are um I'll just tell you a little bit more about uh just even the process of painting the whole process is this slow contemplative thing they actually the artists themselves make the pigments with natural ingredients so they use things like minerals and shells corals even semi-precious stones and and glue and they don't use very much water at all and they mix these into a paint form and they actually take several layers to get the effect they want so I think I'm actually quite confident that looking at this picture on a screen you're not getting near the effect as you would um, if you saw it in person. And that's true, of course, of every piece of work. Um, But I think maybe a little extra more so for this. These flowers that are on here are called um, columbine flowers. And we're heading into spring here. And we're going to, if you are... uh, 
a gardener, you're you're going to have some columbines growing up. And do you know? Are you familiar with columbines? I think so. Uh, do you think of them as white? No, I. I think the ones my mom had were like orange. Oh, really? Okay. I've seen them purple. I've seen oh, a lot okay. of purple ones, but they could be orange. White is quite rare. So um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about this particular painting because he did this. He did a series of paintings of the Columbine flower, and he did it um, as a, a tribute to the Columbine um, mass murders that took place yeah. in Colorado. And so um, and as he kind of process that whole journey and um that he was actually part of a 20th anniversary um remembrance of of that shooting and um he had gone into the the forest or the nature around where um in, in Colorado and seen these flowers and and like I said these flowers are usually purple but um they were white and he felt that they were really, really delicate. He says that they symbolized for him perfectly the fragility of lives. Um, so young and haunted by the encroaching darkness of violence, which is what happened. And, and so also as a, a really interesting twist. So, you know, these, these flowers was, which is what the school was actually named after. Um, Columbines were also the early church's symbol for the Holy spirit. Hmm. So, just this beauty of these simple white, it, it, this is something you just kind of want to sit and think about. And I'll just close by saying that um, he said, as he has he journeyed through these paintings and this work, that what began as a lament over culture, a culture of violence, um, has now become a meditation into the enduring and ever-changing nature of caring for culture. A creation, that creation of art can be a legacy of life to generations to come. So I hope you'll have a look at this painting and, and see some of that as, as you look. For our Bible teaching portion of the prayer series, we're going to look at actual prayers in Scripture. Prayers that are recorded for us by faithful people who prayed in a variety of different circumstances. And we're not going to look at the most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, because the book that we're, we're discussing in this series is based on the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to set that one aside and focus on other prayers in Scripture. And so today we're going to talk about King Solomon's Prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. This is the prayer that Solomon prayed in front of the people when the temple was dedicated. So he had he had built this massive temple. It was it was glorious and the people were gathered and it was a time of great celebration. And it's a pretty long prayer in scripture. So I'm not going to read all of it, but I will read portions of it for you. And we'll start in verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way 
to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers in this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, And when you hear, forgive. And I'll pause there. So Solomon proceeds to pray through different scenarios. He says, if a man sins before his neighbor and then he repents, God hear from heaven and forgive. Or when Israel is defeated before their enemies because of their sin, God hear from heaven and forgive. When there is a drought because of our sin and then we repent, God, hear from heaven and forgive. And he goes on with several more scenarios, and then he concludes with these words. Now, as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as it is this day. So there are several things that I really love about Solomon's prayer here in 1 Kings 8. First, he starts with praise and worship. He says, God, there is none like you. This is always the heart posture we want to begin with in prayer. We want to begin with with worship. And then I love when he said, not one word of all God's good promises have failed. That is so, so true. And I love that in each scenario that Solomon gives in prayer, Solomon asks that when the people repent and pray in or toward the temple, that God would hear and forgive. Solomon knew that God's eyes were constantly on the temple built for his name. He was constantly watching over that place and watching over his people. And so when the people were sinned and then were experiencing the consequences of their sin, if they repented in that moment and turned toward the temple, Solomon's asking that God would hear their prayer and that he would forgive their sin. I love that. And I love how Solomon finishes by asking God to do all these things so that all the people of the earth may know he is God 
and there is no other. This is a missional prayer. This is Solomon asking God to bring honor and glory to his name so that everyone will know he is God. Now for us, God doesn't hear prayers made in a particular place more than other prayers. Like we don't have to go to the church building to pray, but there are lots of things we can learn from Solomon's humble prayer as he dedicates the temple. So I encourage you to read through it this week. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings 8 and and pray through Solomon's prayer. And I promise you, you will be blessed. That's a great idea. If we don't always know how to pray ourselves, why not use some of these prayers we have as examples and, and just speak through them? I think there's so much value in that. I know for myself when I think about sometimes my prayers feel really selfish and I need to have that guidance from those who have gone before. So thanks for sharing that, Shannon. May we all recognize that the Lord is God and there is no other if we could just really recognize that, that would change change the world. So we're at the end, and we want to thank you for listening. We want to thank Joy for joining us. We, um, we hope that you have been as challenged as we are and will continue to be as we journey this topic of prayer. And so we're going to end actually by saying the Lord's Prayer together. I want to ask that wherever you are, if, if you are able or if you just need to um, pause and just pray it on your own some at some point, could you pray this prayer with me as we close? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. for listening to the Mosaic Podcast, a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel, where we meet one another in story, in art, and in Christ. You can subscribe by going on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast so that you will be notified when the next show drops. Also, please be sure to check out our show notes for more details and join in the conversation on either Facebook at mosaic.podcast.wbc or on Instagram at mosaic.podcast. We pray that you will be inspired and encouraged as you travel your own personal journey from brokenness to beauty.